Good morning. It's so good to be with you all on this Lord's Day morning. And we are in a series that we started a little, little while ago, I, I think last week, uh, called Snagged. And we're going to get into that. But I wanted to start with, uh, with, first of all, wishing all the dads happy Father's Day. And um, there's a lot of challenges that come with fatherhood, I've learned. I, I haven't learned all of them yet. <laughs> uh, my oldest is just barely 11 now. But uh, the more I go through it, the more I appreciate my dad, my mom, all the things that they did for us. And fathers, we're grateful for all that you do for the young people here, uh, for your grandchildren and, and all of those in your life. I've been thinking about some of the ways that those challenges show up and one that's on the horizon that I'm not quite ready for. That, that, that might have me snagged, showed up as our family watched this new Pixar short. Riley's already laughing. It's called, appropriately, Riley's First Date. Riley is the daughter from, if any of you saw the Pixar movie Inside Out. And this short is about these parents having this kid show up at their front door and the dad is looking at him like, why is he asking about my daughter and if she's ready? What's going on? Is he here for a date? I don't know if I'm ready to do this bit yet, this, this whole section. And so this, this kid comes to the door and the dad automatically goes into solid, hard-faced dad mode. And they talk about, are we going to put the boot down? Let's put the foot down. <laughs> and you can see his angry face starting to show up. Who is this kid? And what does he think he's going to do taking out my daughter? And if you've seen the Inside Out movies, they have this collection of voices that are inside each person's head like a cockpit or like the bridge of the USS Ender Starship Enterprise, you know, and, and there's, there's joy and there's fear and there's disgust and there's anger. And as you might guess, this is what anger looks like, <laughs> as we would maybe imagine in our heads. You know, you can kind of almost feel that sometimes inside you. It feels like something red is growing up, maybe from your belly. Maybe there's a heart pumping going on whenever you start to get angry. And the end of this particular story, it ends up that he meets the kid and he starts talking about how they were both in a band whenever they were younger. And, oh, I think that kid's a good kid, actually. He's just like me, you know. But that anger can just start to creep up so easily. I heard somebody say, it starts somewhere down here and you have to catch it before it gets to your mouth. Or you might say something that you don't want to say because it can snag us. And so this series is about how certain things like a fish hook can grab a hold of us, difficult emotions or, or attitudes, and pull us where we don't want to go. And these emotions, like we talked about last week, anxiety, 
they're, they're natural things. They, they can be appropriate, but they can get us into trouble. And the Bible has a lot to say about anger and how we deal with it, right? For some of us, if you think about, you know, you're cooking a bunch of different things on the, on, on the stovetop. Maybe you've got a sauce simmering over here, and then you've got water boiling for your noodles over here. Well, these are all different kinds of anger. Some of us might have a slow burn going all the time, you know. Some people, they don't maybe seem like explosively angry people, but they have always this, uh, this edge to them, always irrit irritated, always annoyed, always a little extra sarcastic and, and rough, and this anger is just sort of sitting there with us. And that, that has to be dealt with. Or some of us, probably all of us at some point, have had that anger start to, to boil over, and it just shows up in this over, overwhelming um, fury sometimes. And so there's this spectrum of anger. Anger can be just annoyance and irritation. Or on the other hand, it can be this very dangerous, wild, out of control rage that can become violent. You know, some of the worst things, the things you hear about on the evening news that you don't want to hear about come from someone losing it in their anger. And then in the middle is this this anger that takes self-control but can be productive, right? We can use it well, but it can also get us into trouble if we say the wrong things, if we don't get a hold of it right away. Aristotle said, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time, and for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not within everyone's power. That is not easy. That is a hard thing to do. And what would that look like? What would that look like for someone to do it just right? Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3. Here we find Jesus going back, going to a synagogue, and there he sees a man as he's walking in with a withered hand. And as Jesus walks in, he notices it, and he starts to address it. And it says in verse 5, and he looked around at all the people in the synagogue. Verse 4 says, everybody there, He's going to later identify them as the Pharisees, are watching to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day, he's in the synagogue, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Of course, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath anyways, but he, always, he did everything right. He never sinned, Hebrews 4.15 says. And it says he looked around as they were looking intently with this kind of judgment and hardness and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Notice a few things about Jesus here. First of all, I don't know where we get the idea that godliness is this emotionless, distant tranquility. 
like, like somebody sitting on a mountain that just doesn't feel anything ever. The Gospels do not present us with a stoic Jesus. Jesus feels. Jesus feels sorrow in this passage. He feels anger. He feels joy. He, in, the, in the cross, he felt so much stress. It was overwhelming. Sweat drops of blood. In, in, as, he, as he sat in the garden praying. And here we see Jesus angry. So, so that's the first thing to notice. Another thing to notice, we might notice that Jesus not only was angry, but this anger was mixed with something else. Sometimes we talk to the kids about God's anger. Like, you know, how God was so angry in Noah's time that he destroyed the whole world. And we share with them as we look at that, you know, he was repenting in his heart. He was mad, sad, right? He was sad and he was mad and the two mixed together. In fact, often those two go together, right? God was grieved at the hardness, at the, at the turning away, the rebellion. Why? Because he wanted everyone's good. Because of love. Love brings anger sometimes. Did you know that? But a particular kind of anger. And we have to handle that particular anger with love. Jesus has this anger that is mixed with grief. This godly grief at their hardness of heart. This is so tragic, and he recognizes the tragedy that God's people here are not wanting other people to receive the blessing of his healing. They're misunderstanding and twisting God's law to, to not think any good can be done on the Sabbath. And they're hardening against the grace that God wants to bring them and others. And then notice the response. Jesus doesn't lose control. Instead, he does something productive. He doesn't kowtow to the, to the Pharisees and the people around him that are thinking he shouldn't do this. He knows that. In fact, the next verse says they began plotting to kill him right then because of this. He knows the consequences of his choice. And yet he chooses with courage and strength and love to heal this man. That's more than a healing. It's a statement. Sometimes anger, godly anger, can lead us to respond courageously. You know, I can't believe that they're, they're treating that person that way. Now, we have to make sure we get control. We, I'm not saying, so just let it fly. But we might say, I have to say something about this. I have to stand up for good. It might lead us, because it's, it's uncomfortable. It makes you want to do something. It might lead us to confront a situation we need to confront, whether with other people or within ourselves. It might lead us to forgive someone finally. Anger can 
pro propel us forward if we're trying to do it in the right way and to the right person at the right time, the right purpose and all of these things. You know, we might expect in the text that we'll be really focusing on today, we might expect it to start in Ephesians 4.26, never be angry. Never be angry. Anger is so bad, right? But that is not what it says, right? That's not what it says. Kind of surprising. It actually says, be angry. And, and the sense here isn't a command, be angry. But he's telling you what to do. In other words, you're going to be angry. There's gonna, anger is going to show up. An emotion is not wrong. It's how we deal with it. When anger shows up, don't sin. Be angry and do not sin. And Jesus shows us what that looks like. Perfect human anger. Anger is as natural as, as any other emotion. We see God in the Old Testament as well. 80 times described as angry. But the key here is not to sin, not to do something that is destructive, something that Satan wants us to do, that the flesh is promoting doing, rather than what the Spirit wants, what God wants. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. I didn't know that for years. What do you think of the name Nobel? What do you think of? Yeah, the Nobel Prize. The Nobel Peace Prize. But one day, his, his brother died. And there was a mix-up. And people thought that it was him that died. And the next day, in the newspaper, the headline read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. You know, dynamite was being used for all kinds of things. It's still, you know, I mean, explosives can, can clear roads for us so that we can drive through the Rocky Mountains. It can make way for mining and all kinds of things. But it can also be used to kill. Even to kill for awful, completely unjust, uh, in unjust wars. And so whenever he read that headline, he changed his direction. And people were shocked later when they found that he had left all of his fortune and all that would come from it to this institution to create a peace prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. And anger is kind of like that, right? It can be used for good or it can be a merchant of death. It can be destructive. And often, anger is a secondary emotion. Often, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you get a, a sickness and then you have a secondary infection that comes with it. Anger often comes from someplace else. It's the tip of the iceberg. And so we have to, like Jesus, confront whatever the situation is. We have to deal with it. We don't pretend it's not there. We, we have to, if there is something, if, if you're carrying this, this grudge against someone that keeps showing up, or if you're feeling uh, anxiety or insecurity or something else that's starting to show up in anger, 
we have to deal with both. We have to deal with the anger, and we have to deal with the situation that's creating the anger. So what Paul is saying in this whole passage, if you step back, our text is verses 26 and 27, but he says in verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self to create, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like the Father that we can absolutely trust to always do the right thing in the way we handle everything. I don't know if this is a universal marriage thing or if it's just me and my wife, but um, I like old t-shirts. And my wife does not like me wearing my ratty old t-shirts, but they're the most comfortable thing I have. Old jeans that are falling apart, old t-shirts that are falling apart. One time she tried to do me a favor by taking one of my old t-shirts from a band, my cousin's band that had holes all over it. I mean, I don't wear it to church. I wear it to sleep in, you know, or to paint or something, right? But she took it and she cut it out and she sent it to this company that made a different t-shirt with that on it. But see, it wasn't comfortable anymore. It wasn't about the message on it. So Paul uses this clothing language in Ephesians 4. Put off, take off the old stuff and put on the new. Here's the problem. The old stuff is so comfortable. It's, it's what we're used to. He says the old manner of life. You know, this pattern, this way of doing things, the way we deal with our anger, the way we deal with all of the problems, the way we deal with people when they're so annoying, you know, whenever people seem to be a problem and they're, you know, let's not pretend there aren't people who are hard to deal with. But we have to take that off and put on a new way. And the new way is called Christ. Put on Christ. Do things like Jesus does things. Respond with self-control, with gentleness, with wisdom, with love, with godliness, with righteousness, with courage, with strength, with all of the things that embody who Jesus is. We put off the old self and we've got to start learning new ways of dealing with the anger. The anger isn't the problem, it's what we do with it. So back in, in April, we went on a trip and me and Asher and Anna went first and the flight to Arizona was like, it was like 11 o'clock at night and you know we're just there's so much to do we were going to be gone for three weeks so we're packing and we're then we're like okay load everything did you forget do you remember this did you forget this okay and we're rushing you know even though we've been preparing for it for weeks there's just it's this rush 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 trying to get everything got to get to the okay the everything was backed up and the the kiosk was bad it wasn't working and so it was hard to get uh you had to everybody had to be in line and there was this giant line you know there's never a line at the fort wayne airport this giant line so we get through that and then we run through tsa and we're not 
TSA pre, so we've got to, you know, stand in the long line. We run, 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 get to the spot, and you sit down and then do nothing forever. In fact, our flight was super late. They had all kinds of problems with it. And so it was like, I don't know, one o'clock or something like that when we finally got out of there. And that's kind of what God says to do with our anger. Hurry up and wait. There's two different instructions about how we deal with anger from the standpoint of timing. From the standpoint of timing. These two different ideas. And we're going to work our way from the right to the left. And let's talk about waiting first. Because he talks about promptly dealing with anger, but he also talks about pausing before you react. So... I think to set the context of this whole conversation, it's important to understand this concept that Paul talks about a lot. Jesus talks about it also in the garden. Remember he said, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Paul really takes that idea and develops it in Galatians 5 and in Romans 8 and in all these different passages where he helps us to understand these two forces within us. There's the flesh. It just means, this word, just starts, it just means like the meat of our body, but it comes to mean something bigger in Paul. You know, that, that which opposes God that's coming from our desires. That, and, and so our, you know, sometimes anger, sometimes all kinds of things, lust or, or just being tired or just be, whatever, things can affect us in ways that lead us or, or make it very easy for us to do the wrong thing. But God's Spirit shows us a different way. The Holy Spirit teaches us the way to walk. And we are, according to Galatians 5, verse 25, to walk in step with the Spirit. And according to verse 16, we're not to gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, don't, don't just indulge everything that your flesh wants to do. That's what an animal does, right? Right? It's a really helpful idea. This is an unusual source, but this has always helped me. This comes from an old uh, book many of you are familiar with, secular book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? And the idea is that there's all these stimuli that come at us, right? There's, you know, you, somebody wants you to do this, uh, your body is telling you you're hungry, all of these different things are pushing you. And then from that comes your response, right? So there's the stimulus and your response. And, and what Covey said, and I think he found it somewhere else in a book somewhere, and that led to the whole seven habits of highly effective people, is that between stimulus and response, there is a gap. Between stimulus, between what's pushing you and what you do with it, there's a gap. Now, a dog probably doesn't have much of a gap, right? If it's hungry, it eats. If it's scared, it attacks or it runs away. But humans are made differently. We're made in the image of God. And we can start to behave, Peter talks about this, like animals, like unthinking animals where we just do whatever our body, whatever our flesh, whatever our desires tell us to do. We just do those things. 
But when we're led by the Spirit, we fill this gap with the Spirit's thoughts and the Spirit's words and the Spirit's ideas and the Spirit's affections. That which God shows us is good and right. So that then whenever this thing is pushing us, we pause. And in here we have morality, we have imagination, we have reason, we have all of these things that are higher functions than just following the impulse that we have. And so, you know, anger is activating the amygdala, that little chain, this is a little biology, and it gets your heart going, and there's all of these, these hormones going, and it, it, change, it, it makes it harder for your prefrontal cortex, that higher operating part of your body, to function. And so there's a biological part to this that we have to deal with in order to start thinking clearly, but we need to be able to respond well to our anger. Because if not, if the flesh shows up, then it'll bring, as, as uh, Hank Williams Jr. used to say in his Monday Night Football song, all its rowdy friends with it. At the end of this passage in Ephesians 5, it gives a list of some of those friends. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. These are the things anger is associating with. Now, is anger inherently bad? No, but you can see how dangerous it is with all of, when it starts mingling with all of these other rowdy friends that it has. It is, it is a problem if we don't deal with it, if we let the flesh take hold of it. James says it this way in James 1, 19 to 21. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Pause before you react. You know, my first instinct a lot of times is to just start talking whenever I get angry or start doing. But James says to be slow, and that's not just when you talk. You know, don't, don't click send until you pause, be slow to text. So modern international version, be slow to post. Be slow to speak, but quick to listen and quick uh, and, and slow to anger. The word in the, in the uh, fruit of the spirit for patience is two words, macrothumia, and it means literally macro is in long. And to me, as in temper or uh, your, your ability to pay. We talk about people who have a short fuse or short-tempered. The, the virtue that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us is being long-fused. Long-fused. doesn't mean you don't have a fuse, but you, you can last longer with it. So if you think of it, you know, anger shows up a lot for some of us, maybe more with men. In driving, but think of this driving metaphor. You know, somebody is going to cut you off, or somebody is slamming on the brakes, and all of a sudden, there's this collision. But if you have proper following distance, if you give yourself breathing room, then whenever that stop happens, you, know, you can pause to think. You can pause, as James says, to listen, going with our metaphor here. You even pause to pray. Do the old, it's old and familiar, but there's a reason for it. Do the old count to 10. 
Or think of these ten words. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Pause. And instead of saying whenever your, your spouse is maybe reacting to something, instead of saying, oh, what is it now? You know, or something like that, pause and say, hey, it seems like you're upset about something. Why don't we, why don't we talk about that? You want to talk? Following distance lets us choose different pathways. For instance, we might choose, let's work it out, as Matthew 18, 15 says, or Ephesians 4, 15, speak the truth in love. Or there's some things, you know what, this isn't worth, it's not going to be something that's going to fester in me, it's not a big deal, it's not a sin, I'm just going to let it go, because it is a glory to overlook a matter, Proverbs 29, 11 says. But we also need to hurry up on some things. We need to promptly deal with anger. Jesus says, leave your offering. If you're about to make an offering and you're angry with your brother, leave your offering there. Just drop it and go work it out. This is interesting. It's a three-day journey up to the, where he was teaching in Jerusalem, this distance. But he says, just leave, leave that issue and go work it out. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, work out, reconcile this. To your brother, or as our text says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let a day go by. Paul is Paul isn't isn't giving like some nice wisdom. Paul is telling us this is how you do it. This is how God's people do it. There is an urgency because when you don't deal with something, it festers and it becomes bigger and bigger needs to be confronted. It needs to be dealt with. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, but, but talk about things. Promptly deal with them. Deal with them well. It says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Some versions say no foothold to the devil. The idea here is don't give any room or any place to the devil. So here's the, here's the point. Your and, and this is really the heart of the whole lesson, the, the big idea here. Your anger doesn't come from the devil. Notice that. But the devil can use it. The devil, if you give it room, if you don't work it through it properly, you don't work through it quickly, the devil can create destruction and bring his malevolent purposes into your life and into the community of God's people. And this is an interesting thing. The same word, the same Greek word here for opportunity is used not only of the devil here, giving room for the devil to work, giving him elbow room to get some things done, but it's also used of God in Romans 12, 19, where he says to give God the opportunity to avenge you and leave room for the wrath of God. You see how these two contrast? Isn't that interesting that it uses the same word? So he's saying, don't leave room for the devil. You do what you need to do. That's your job. Work it out. But do leave room for God to be the one that avenges. That's not your job to avenge. And if you start trying to say, I'm going to bring justice in my way and fight for myself in a way that is avenging, 
then you're taking the opportunity away from God. You're taking his room to work. One final thought as we, we close. It's easy to miss here that Paul is actually quoting David, a man after God's own heart. He's quoting the Psalms. And Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. It seems David is, is ready to lie down, but he's working through what he calls distress in verse 1. What he calls the lies and slander of wicked people, of all the people around him in verse 2. He's working through these things, but he says, be angry and don't sin. Ponder. Think about it. Then he goes on to say, I mean, you might expect him to be stewing. You know how sometimes things just are running, you're punching your pillow, you can't get to sleep. You might expect him to have that kind of a attitude. But instead here, he says in verse 7, I have joy like the people do when there is an abundance of grain and wine. It's this contrast between the circumstance that for some people creates joy and this inner joy that comes from the Lord for David. He says in verse 8, Because I trust in the Lord, I will both lie down and sleep. And the word both there usually has the meaning of together. Like at the same time, I will lie down and sleep. When my head hits the pillow, I'm going to fall asleep. Because God is my safety. Last word of the psalm. My safety. And that word is, is a cognate. It's a related word to the word trust he uses earlier. Because God is my trust. God is my safety. And so I can go to sleep and have peace. And be angry and sin not. See, many, many years before, Paul brings this idea of putting on a new self out in Ephesians 4, Paul works out for, or rather David shows us what that looks like. David throughout the Psalms brings his frustrations and difficulties, his sorrows and angers before God, works through them, vents them out with God. And here he finds security and trust. He finds, as we sang, Shelter in the storm. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. So we'll continue this series next week, but the, the big idea here is to follow the leading of the Spirit, the direction of the Spirit as He reveals Himself to us in His Word, to submit ourselves to the Lord's teaching and to respond with, with grace and with love and with patience. God wants to be a shelter for all of us. And if you are not a Christian, if you haven't yet submitted your whole life to Jesus Christ, then you have that opportunity. The way that the New Testament teaches to do that is to trust in him and to confess him as the Lord and the Christ, the Son of God, and to be baptized into him. And that is a, a way of expressing a change of life where you walk up, as Paul says, a new person. If you're ready to do that this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.